what is a smart city? And how does smart city technology impact our engagement of cities? In this episode, we're going to unpack this topic along with maybe a tangent or two. I'm Michael Crane, and this is Mission City, a podcast about the urban revolution and how the church can serve the city. I'm a researcher and writer on the intersection of cities and the Christian faith. Our guest today is E.J. Smith. He's a smart city engineer based in southeastern United States, but works with organizations throughout the United States, as well as Southeast Asia. He was raised in a rural environment where he came to appreciate simplicity and ingenuity, but became fascinated with what a well-planned city can provide to its residents. He is a father, a husband, a podcaster, a musician. He currently holds a master's in engineering focused on smart and sustainable cities. He also holds master's degrees in intercultural studies and divinity, making EJ thrice a master. Also important to note, he has no pets. Hi, EJ. Welcome to Mission City Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to know Jesus. I'm originally from the southeastern United States, and I grew up in the south, but I've traveled a good bit for educational purposes, uh, Asia, California, uh, Colorado, I'm married. I got multiple children. <laughs> I got an even mix of boys and girls. <laughs> I'm in uh, tech, and so is my wife. So it's it's a very interesting. So it's um, double tech. Believe. Yeah, it's a lot of tech in our house. My dad's a Southern Baptist pastor, and okay. so we talked about Jesus a lot in my house. And so when I was eight, I was going to church, a church that you've actually been by a few times. There was a revival. And, you know, I'd had questions about higher things. And uh, it was funny because it wasn't my dad who was speaking. It was actually a revivalist or a, uh, you know, guest preacher. He kind of presented a very convincing presentation of, you know, what was going on in the world and what might be going on in the end of the world and after all this. And I, I probably was more afraid at that time uh, when I went forward. But that started it all. Um, I was eight years old. I'm in my 40s now. I was saved on that date, but I was constantly in process of being saved in, in the hope of one day being saved from all this at the end as well. So that's how I came to know Jesus. Our topic today is mm-hmm. smart cities, yes. which for our audience, they may know almost nothing or they may know tons about smart uh-huh. cities. Yeah. So let's... Break it down to the basic level. Okay. What is a smart city? What do people mean when they talk about mm-hmm. smart technology? Yeah. Give us the basics. Well, I guess if you if you were going to break it down to the basics, I would break it down into three things. You would talk about people, you talk about tech, and you talk about data, right? Okay. I'll, let me break down smart and city. Uh, let's start with city first. A city doesn't necessarily have to be a city of like 500,000. It could be a town or community, right? It could be uh, uh, it could be as large as Singapore or Mexico City or as small as uh, my hometown of uh, twenty eight thousand people, 
or smaller. It could be a village. You know, it could be it could be four huts, three huts, two huts. It doesn't matter. Sometime, uh, some type of gathering of yes, human beings. some type of gathering of humans. That's the people aspect. And they're using some kind of tech. And again, most people, when they say smart city, they're talking about like devices, like your smartwatch, sensors on a pole, maybe a closed circuit TV, right? Or even the sensors that when you walk in and out of a, um, of a store that pick up who came in, who, who left, or you're using your smartphone for like, and right now what we're, we're doing, uh, what some people are doing with COVID-19, they're doing track and trace. So you can figure out whether or not you were exposed to somebody who had uh, COVID-19 and maybe they notify you through your phone that, hey, you were within six feet of so-and-so. Of the, you don't want to tell you who, but they, they, you were exposed within six feet. Yeah. So that's all the tech. And then all that's working together with data. You know, you, like you can, it's pretty natural to say, okay, they are collecting data from these things that are happening, like an image, like in a closed circuit TV, or, you know, open and close for a door, or, your, you know, uh, GIS information, uh, like on a, on a smartphone, like where you were and where the sick person was. So that's all like an application of smart city app, of a, of a smart city uh, implementation, I guess. How'd you get interested in this? Let's okay. Start with that. So there's a recent one and there's a long, a long one. And I'll, I'll tell you the recent one first, okay. um, just because it's kind of weird how it kind of all came to be. So I was working at a, f- a fiber company in Birmingham, Alabama. But we had a customer come to us and say, hey, uh, if you had connectivity throughout the entire, you know, uh, uh, this large area, what could you do with that? They gave me the task of making a a long list, uh, probably, I guess, I don't know if they wanted an abridged list or an unabridged list, but I gave them the unabridged version because I came up with like 80, and there's probably more, but I came up with 80 things you could do with all that kind of connectivity. And that mm. really naturally led itself into smart cities. I started doing this research and everything started popping up smart cities. And also there's some algorithm to that, you know, with Google and everything. I went to my boss at the time and I said, hey, I know of a program that's a transatlantic program to study smart cities. Would you mind if I do this? Because I think I, I would really enjoy this because it's kind of a holistic thing. And I'm a holistic person. I mean, I try to be a holistic person. It's kind of how I view the world anyways. And my boss was like, yeah, go for it. And so I, start, I, went, I went back to grad school and I got an engineering okay. degree in smart cities. And so that's where this journey started for me. Um, but it actually started um, probably almost 20 years ago with a friend that we, a mutual friend we have, Brad Sargent. And mm. one day we were just talking about the world and just how things were connected and how Christians and uh, people of faith could, you know, make a change in the world. Uh, obviously, our religious faith is uh, the biggest part of that because it, it propels us to to want to make a play, world a better place and to, into speaking to people's lives, right? But like, what can you do that's uh, like um, rubber to the road? Besides Matthew twenty five forty stuff, which is the essentials of feeding the sick and feeding the uh, hungry, taking care of the sick, and visiting widows and the, the stuff that's really important. It, it's very, it's listed as very important in Matthew. But how could we actually do something in the world that made a difference? And Brad gave me this book. It's called A World, and you can put it, write it down. I don't know if it's still available. It's A World Changing User's Guide to the 21st Century. 
it was right. really talking about what was coming down the pike. Yeah. And that was crazy. And I, I messaged him. Right. Yeah, I messaged him down the road. I said, if you open the uh, the the cover of the book, he, you know, uh, Brad likes to write stuff in books he gives you. And it was something like, go for it, looking forward to what you do. Mm. And I was just like, I just started, I just kind of broke down. And I was like, wow, um, he didn't, I don't think he knew what this was going to do for my life. Um, or maybe he so, did. Maybe he did. You know, <laughs> he probably did. He'll do a poem about it one day. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> or a rap. Yeah. But yeah. So it's, that's kind of, it's kind of one of those things that kind of things kind of came together. And as you know, I mean, you know me pretty well. Um, I like, I have a lot of interests. Smart cities really feeds into that because there's almost nothing that I can't, you know, I can't explore. It doesn't touch. Yeah. Oh gosh. It touches way. It's sometimes way too much. I, I sometimes yeah. have to go in a room and kind of shut down <laughs> because it, <laughs> it can, it can be a little much as well. Okay. So um, then just getting super practical for the, for the tech dummy. Uh-huh. What are, you, you know, you sound very optimistic about smart cities. Mm-hmm. What are three or four just really cool applications of smart cities mm-hmm. for those living in cities? Well, I think uh, one of the, th- uh, I mean, because data is such a huge part of it, right? A lot of cities uh, and, and throughout the world, they have food deserts, right? They have places where good, healthy food is unavailable. Using data to figure out where in a city there might be food deserts. Okay. And then making sure that either you set up stores there or maybe you have mobile stores that show up there or you have, there's even a, I I saw a robot that was like a card. It was secured, kind of like an Amazon application where you would buy healthy groceries and then it would drive them to you. It's pretty amazing the things you can do. But I, I mean, I would rather have they do a data analysis of people's buying habits and also the stores around. And then they plant a store in the middle of that where people can get healthy food. So I think that's one application. Also, uh, autonomous vehicles. Uh, that is pretty amazing because there's a lot of people who don't. One is kind of uh, unnecessary for them to have a car or really expensive for them to have a car. And so having autonomous buses that go where they're needed mm. rather than just make a loop, um, that's pretty, you know, like it's on call um, to say uh, you're a granny of some sort, abuela or, uh, you know, has a need in a, a part of town that doesn't have really good health care for whatever reason. Uh, she could have a, a, an autonomous bus come by, pick her up, take her to her doctor's appointment and take her back. And she doesn't have to drive herself and no one else has to take the day off to, to drive her there, right? How, how far out are we from that? Well, I mean, Bur- I know Birmingham, it doesn't have an autonomous vehicle that does that yet, but they do have a micro transit application where okay. with a, on your iPhone that you can, uh, within a certain, they have like a kind of a geofence or, you know, a certain area that's, that it's going to be used to try to help, especially those that don't have transportation or really reliable transportation. They can call and it costs like, I don't know, Right now, I think it's subsidized, but it could cost about two or three dollars or something like that for a trip. Okay, wow. Here's a cool application. This is one of the things that kind of kind of launched all this for me and just my interest, especially in smart citizens and people becoming smarter. Is uh, it was in the Netherlands? I think it was Amsterdam. They had these. Uh, I think it was Amsterdam. They had these uh, birdhouses, 
that uh, detected air quality. Okay. And if the birdhouse was green, then it meant the air quality was good. If the if the birdhouse was you know red, it was bad. Um, and also, it could be a real birdhouse. And it was also part of a Wi-Fi network for free Wi-Fi for people. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and it's very that's simple. You know, that's I mean, when yeah. I say simple, that's a simple application. But also another thing in the, in the, in, the, in the Netherlands, they were doing this was a video you can watch it online. I'd have to look at what it is, but it was about smart citizens. And the in Amsterdam, they were really wanting to roll out uh, an IoT. IoT is Internet of Things, so that's any device yeah. that's connected to the internet, right? Uh, which the first thing I think was a toaster <laughs> in the 90s or something like that. They were wanting to put these IoT sensors out to detect uh, air quality and then you know build up a, a kind of a virtual map of air quality in the city. And yeah. they wanted to deploy these throughout the, the city. And uh, so they, you know, they wanted community volunteers. And it was interesting because I think a lot of people, when they think tech, they think young hipsters or children who know how to use an iPad and their parents don't or something like that. You know? But there was a lot of people who were older adults in that city. I think it was Amsterdam again. And they, uh, they were like, hey, I want to be part of that. They were like, hey, that's awesome. Come on in. We'll show you how to set them up. They're like, hey, I, I don't know how to use a computer. And the nonprofit like, crap. Okay. They showed up and they were like, hey, I, they went to work. And I was like, say, there was one example, like a security guard. Mm. And so this, this lady, her main uh, tool was a notebook and a, a flashlight. She never had to do anything with a computer. And so they had this influx of these people who weren't tech savvy and they started training them how to use computers. Okay. And they started, you know, uh, pairing uh, kind of hipster people with, with these people <laughs> who need to be trained. And that's cool to me. I mean, that's amazing because you got to start with your, you have to understand who is using tech and who can't use tech in your, in your location. So it's not only performing a service for the city, but it's also helping, you know, people find some vocation, helping yeah. people do t- job training, yeah. um, technology development. So there's a lot of wins in that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, it's, that's what's funny about it. It's not just technology. Yeah. And especially, and this is my opinion, and I think the opinion of the people who, who trained me um, in this, it's got to be people-focused. It can't just be technology because there's always a new gadget, a new this, yeah. a new that. But you got to really – yeah, you really got to pour into your community and find out who needs to know how to do these things. So I attended a webinar recently that was talking mm-hmm. about big brother type government mm-hmm. and how much data is just being accumulated yeah. about everyone. And it was frightening. So yeah. um, what's the shadow side of smart cities? Yeah, <laughs> well... There, the shadow side is that I think is also kind of the data and who gets it and who uses it. Yeah. Um, you and I, I talked about this before. I, I was at a, I was at a smart city conference and there were some really smart people up on the dais. Is that how you say it? Dais. And so um, one was very polished and uh, very uh, governmental. And yeah. the other person ran a nonprofit. The other person had uh, ran a nonprofit that really focused especially on a developing community, right? They were talking about IoT devices or Internet of Things devices that could be set up to help this uh, very urban town. 
And this college guy was like, uh, both of them were college educated, by the way. He's just, he was more acting like a college guy. He goes, uh, yeah, we can just do it like they did in London. And uh, we just put cameras up everywhere and that'll make people feel safer. And this other person was from like uh, an area which was, was very poor. And uh, she said, look, you can't just put cameras up uh, in a, in my neighborhood. That would, that first thought you gotta, you can't do that without, you know, getting together with a community and kind of socializing that with them, helping them understand how this would benefit them because otherwise they're going to think you're just spying on them. It's not every community has the same trust level with the government. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. you know, this, and the, you know, the other person was like, well, we can work on that. And, and the, the lady was like, no, you, you, you really can't just skip past that part. Yeah. Um, and so socialization of technology, there's a bunch of articles. In fact, I shared one today. I, I, I had to go back and look for it about that's a big problem around the world. Is it, okay, this happened in uh, the sidewalk labs up in Canada. They had a big project that they were working on, and it has basically come to a halt. Google was working on it. And one of the big problem was that people were not, did not seem to, one of the big problems seemed to be that people were not trusting of what they were going to, what was going to be done with their data. Hmm. And uh, they don't want to be spied on. They're, I mean, everybody, yeah. we're already spied on. We uh, Amazon knows everything I've ever bought, everything I've ever looked, every movie I ever watched. You know, what I mean? so the same thing with other people. We've all experienced this now. Uh, uh, Target, you know, uh, a couple few years ago, they had a technology breach uh, through their air conditioning system. Hmm. Someone was able to get credit card information off the machines, or uh, you know, collect personal data on people. Um. And so the data, the data security aspect is uh, is much is much feared by people, yeah. uh, both both people who are really in the smart city realm and people that are, are don't deal with that every day. Right. So that's a big deal, and I think that's probably one of the largest one. I mean, we could name two or three more, uh, but yeah. that one's big, big that, deal. That's huge. You know, yeah, for sure. I think you know your typical person wants to have at least a sensation or a sense that uh, they're not being spied on, you know? <laughs> so I think that's, um, you know, it, it so the way, the way you put that is mm-hmm. you are being spied on, but yeah. we just want to pretend that it's not happening. Yeah. So what, it, well, let's pretend let's, let's at least be transparent about what <laughs> is being spied on. What okay. Thing, and yeah. what del- data is being collected. Okay. Because there's some things like if, uh, and this is me personally, I have cameras and stuff at my house. But I don't do cameras inside my house. I don't mind things being collected in public. You know, if you're watching me take out the trash, yeah. good for you. <laughs> you. You see me in my jammies and my slippers taking the trash out in my T-shirt. That's fine. Right. I don't care. I'm in public. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I turn off. I sometimes will turn off my devices. There, There's an effort now to have Wi-Fi around the world. Mm. And... Um, there's some big billionaires that would love to have that where you could basically, you know, be on top of Mount Everest and be able to get a Wi-Fi connection. Hmm. I'm not into that. I, I think there's places you shouldn't be you should connected. be able to be a, away from yeah. it. Yeah. You should be able to be away. I think everybody should be able to be away from it. So okay. I, that's, that's a big one. Yeah. So let's, let's move into direct ministry application for, yeah. for the church and for people ministering mm-hmm. in urban context. Um, what are some 
positive applications of this. I mean, like earlier you were talking about food deserts, right? And I can imagine that if you are um, in working with, you know, the vulnerable Mm -hmm. and poor in a city, that can be incredible technology to get a hold of so that you can serve better, right? Mm -hmm. What are some other things as we're thinking about that, um, that people can leverage for the sake of their ministry? Whatever data is available for your area. I mean, that's basic ethnology, you know, basic anthropology is having the data available to to the utilize to find out that kind of information. Like who lives in your area? What are their needs? Um, and actually, and, and having somebody who is in, who is a person of faith, who is a data analytics person to be able to go through that, you're able to kind of figure out what hotspots are there for like, uh, for hunger. Yeah. In my in my in my city, what what are the hot spots for poverty in my city? So my question is, effective? you know, does someone need to be uh, a data specialist or data mm-hmm. an analyst to be able to access that kind of information? Nope. Uh, what about for the the luddites? Yeah. Well, for the Luddites, I can't help you because you're going to avoid smart cities either way. <laughs> you're just going to, I mean, for a true Luddite, you're not going to touch a computer. Um, yeah. But if you're a pure Luddite, is just knowing that that's is going on and yeah. also that uh, you need to pay attention to your, when you're walking through a neighborhood, if you have a pencil and paper and you write down what's going on in that neighborhood, you're collecting data. You don't have to touch a computer. Mm. Um, for the non-Luddites who aren't like data scientists, there's a lot of online data uh, sources that you can go to. And especially okay. in the United States or in other countries, maybe you're in Singapore or someplace like that. Singapore has very open data. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how updated it is, is it three years old? Whatever. But they do, there are lots of countries who are really putting their data out there online. Okay. And so... <clears throat> no, you don't have to be a data scientist to do this, but you just got to have some detail-oriented um, portions of your brain, I guess. Yeah. And if you don't, find someone who does, you know. Um, you can you can use simple tools like uh, Google Earth to put pins down of, of certain things, whatever you're looking for. You can use uh, – there's another – I'm a GIS guy or geographical information systems guy. Yeah. Um, and you can – gather data and turn it into uh, images on a map, right? So what I hear you saying is you don't mm-hmm. have to be a, a technological wizard, nope. but you do need to put in some yeah. some time and sweat into it. Yeah. In fact, if you just have Microsoft Excel, you know, you can d- d- look at a, a spreadsheet. You know, if you have a friend who's an accountant, can look at a spreadsheet really well. Um, that's, that's, I mean, that's a really basic uh, tool to use. Yeah. Yeah. So what are um, some other applications of smart city technology? We talked about like um, data gathering, et cetera. Um, I, you know, apps are really big in churches, but uh, churches being able to have uh, some kind of connectivity through their apps for their congregations to be able to check in on each other and be able to reach out to people. Human contact is huge. It's good not only for extroverts, but it's also good for introverts sometimes because we need God made us to be in relationship. Yeah, and for this whole COVID thing has been really hard on that for people. Even just the kind word, you know, 
a smile because we can't see smiles anymore because of masks and um, just a you know uh, a guy today I was I was in a Starbucks um, and this guy did something really kind and I had my mask on my son had his mask on and this guy did something really kind and I just turned around and I just saw him I said dude thanks that was awesome and he gave me his reason why he did it and I was like no that's fine that's totally cool I just want to tell you thank you. And I was, you know, I, I talked to him for a minute and I turned back around and I was working on some stuff. And as he walked away, he touched my arm and said goodbye. He just, you know, nudged my arm. I was so excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just nudged my arm and said goodbye, you know. Some so real human contact. Human contact. And so I think that's one thing at churches. It doesn't need to be just collecting information. It doesn't, at, for in you know, church apps, doesn't need to just be sending out, you know, we're going to have a potluck here. It's a, there really needs to be a way it can connect people. Maybe if I can put it another way, uh, what I hear you saying is we've used technology as sort of a, a dispenser of information. Mm-hmm. And you're saying there's capability for so much more mm-hmm. that can not, not substitute for community, but maybe right. create opportunities for community. Right. It can create opportunities and it, you know, we need to be able to get feedback for certain things, the, the consumerism part, it's also a distraction for us. Technology can be a really bad distraction. And I see that all the time. I sometimes have to just turn it off. But if we're going to have churches using technology or the church using technology, it really needs to have some communal aspects to it. So let's just go down that rabbit trail for just mm-hmm. a second. Virtual community. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been in this pandemic for much longer than anyone dreamed Mm -hmm. or hoped. And and people have been doing virtual church in whatever Mm -hmm. ways they can. Yeah. What's your sense for virtual community in a post pandemic world? Yeah. What, What are your, what are your points of nervousness about it? What are your points of optimism? Well, I, I think my nervousness about the virtual community that has occurred in churches so far that I've seen is that we've figured out <laughs> we can fast forward through the things we don't like about our church. We can skip ahead. We can, mm-hmm. we figured that, I mean, it's just, we now have a, a fast forward button and stuff. And, and I'm, I am not going to lie and say that I am, have not done that at all. Uh, <laughs> when I did it, I realized, Oh goodness, that's uh <laughs> That might not be good. <laughs> I don't like this guy, uh, you know, or this person, you know, just give it that. And so that, uh, that's concerning. You know, uh, we also really removed ourselves from uh, personal intimacy. As you know, it's bad enough that we would text people and, you know, email people, but uh, for, you know, for mundane things, and now it's for everything. Yeah. And that's, that's a negative. I mean, there's also been some positives. Like I've checked my phone more, for, you know, oh, so-and-so had a baby. Let's, you know, who, who wants to sign up, you know, to bring a meal, that kind of thing. That's awesome. Um, but, you know, the negative aspects is, is just kind of where it's kind of become two-dimensional, the people aspect. And it's easier to kind of dismiss people than it was in person. And I, I don't like that aspect of, of the technology aspect. Um, worship also is, you know, I'm a musician. That's not the same we could always sing along with a tape or a CD or, or DVD, 
Um, and now that's kind of become a very common thing. Like I, especially in our, my tradition where the, uh, the body and blood is very important to, um, the, the Eucharist is very, is for my Catholic brothers and sisters or Orthodox brothers and sisters, the Eucharist is, is huge. That's taken away a, a large part of, um, of my worship. You can't do that with a binary code or, uh, zeros yeah. and ones. So yeah. that's uh, it's really changed. But I'll tell you what, on the positive side, I think it's going, it's also put a, a really emphasis. If we're paying attention, uh, it's really put an emphasis on this has to be real to you. You know, it can't just be just a habit of, you know, I got to get up and be there at nine o'clock, whatever our faith, our lifestyle, it has to be lived. And that is not, going to be done for you by a missionary or a pastor or a deacon or anybody else. It has to be, it has to be real to you. You have to pass that. And, and we have to pass that on to our children personally. Yeah. Um, and so we can't really rely on other people uh, like we've been able to do in the past, um, kind of to, to share the faith with our families in ways that we as uh, parents and, and uh, kind of ver- and uncles and aunties, uh, we're supposed to be doing in the first place. I think this is always the Im- remarkable thing to me is the the people that think technology can do everything for them right. aren't usually the people that are the most deeply immersed in technology. Those that are deeply immersed in technology really quickly see the limitations and see some of those concerns. So as a, a pastor in an urban church mm-hmm. that in a city that has lots of smart city technology brimming. Yeah. What would you advise that pastor to do? I mean, what would you do as a pastor in that kind of context? Mm -hmm. Oh, I would make sure that because technology is kind of the delivery system. It's, it's a system, right? And I think the, that people of faith really need to make sure they have their voices heard. Because this is a conversation that is going on, especially the places that you know of personally uh, and that I know of personally. These conversations are happening with or without you. People of faith in every city are very important in maintaining the soul and the vibe of that city. Yeah. And once we, and, I, and I'm, I'm, that's people of faith of all faiths. I mean, it really is. Uh, if you're not part of the conversation, you will be left out of the conversation. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what your faith background is. You really do need to speak into the, to, to that conversation of smart cities, um, especially like the data collection aspect of it. Um, who's being left behind in this technology? Like the smart citizen thing I talked about, are the, are the urban poor being left at the digital divide? That's a big conversation. Yeah, that we can talk about in a second, but those who don't have access to technology, and that's not just in you know the poorest part of the world. It's also it's like everywhere. quote unquote third world, second world, all this stuff. It's also in uh, quote unquote the first world where people are being left out of that conversation because they do not have access. They may have a phone and a Twitter account, but they're not able to affect that conversation very well because it's going on. Not in public. It's going on at com- conferences, and it is, then it's eventually moving on into the um, to the uh, city halls of the of the world. For those who may be working in places where mm-hmm. 
governments are not so hospitable to yeah. faith. Yeah. yeah. What are your recommendations there in terms of, you know, you can't you can't engage in the same way, but there are also maybe some concerns, some things to be thinking about. You you said earlier that you don't want cameras inside your house. Right. Well, what about in a house of worship, you know, mm-hmm. what what are yeah. some thoughts there? I mean, sometimes you got to know when to unplug. Yeah. And not be seen, not be heard. Because those are real concerns. I'm not going to lie and, you know, try to pretty that up. Can't put a lipstick on a pig kind of thing. <laughs> There's some digital advances that are great, uh, that have been fabulous. Like when the internet came about, we were like, oh, there was a, I remember an article that said, oh, this is just a passing phase about the internet. <laughs> and yeah. And so that didn't work. And AOL, remember when AOL came out, that kind of thing. Uh, and yeah. churches, we were really, the, the church, Big C, was really late coming to the party. And we also need to, like you're talking about, we need to also be keep eyes on the door as well. There are going to be places where it's not hospitable to faith or the church. And you, you know, you need to learn how to use paper and pen really well. Hmm. <laughs> and books, hardback books. I know this will be good news to you. Yeah. I, I believe investing you're speaking my in, language now. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think you should only I think you're gonna have to be biotechnological. <laughs> you're gonna have to be able to be kind of half Luddite and half technological in the new world. Yeah. In the new in the new future. Because um, you know, I'm not gonna mention any names, but say uh, there's a large uh organization that controls a lot of books and they go, you know, we don't like what these, all these books say. So we're changing all these words to these words. Right. And, you know, I talk to my kids about that all the time because I'm very about context, even if it's, even if it's a ugly context, even if it's uh, not a pretty history, I want my children to know about it because they, you know, about, I was a history major in college. I, that was the quote, you know, you can, re- the worst thing about history is repeating it. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, we need to learn from our history so we don't repeat the bad things. And so I very, very strong about that with my, my own kids. And so when you can just basically, and I'm, this is metaphorical, but it's also pretty literal. You press a button and go, uh, well, you know, this is all changed now. Uh, we don't have to, that's, that doesn't exist. No, his name is not Jesus in in English. His name is whatever. Or in Greek, we're changing it. Whatever. Um, We really need to invest in low tech and and know when to invest in low tech. And um, I think that's that's nothing wrong with that. And having in-person conversations, that's what kind of we're the, you know, what we need in the world is in-person conversations and real high touch missions. In-person meetings will not go away for people of faith. That's that's something we got to remember, even if it's, if it's in a brick and mortar building or it happens to be out in the field, that's fine. Um, that part is not going to change. That need is still there. In essence, what you're what you're saying is, and I'm going to put words in your mouth, and that's so fine. I apologize in advance. But that a, a, an urban pastor needs to be technologically kind of up on his mm-hmm. yeah. tech game to be able to interface. The church was behind the game and uh-huh. needs to really catch up needs right. to be in the conversation in the public square right at the same time need to know when and how yeah. to go offline and yeah it's, yeah even with all this stuff that just happened with covid the church some of the church they went okay we're going all in online yeah but they forgot about the offline stuff and uh you you can't do that right 
Yeah, I guess the the dilemma that I I have internally mm-hmm. is how does a pastor do all of that? You build a team for that. You can't. I don't think everybody can be everything. Yeah. Um, I think even if it's just a nut, one other person, you know, um, or two other people, you you have people who have experience and desire to stay in that area, who love that area. Um, so where would you direct people to kind of get up to speed besides this, this incredible interview? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you made me laugh. Um, first off, I'd go and read the news. I would okay. just go to Google or someplace else and type in smart cities and just start, you know, kind of reading the most recent articles because you, you'll never be able to catch up from the very beginning. Right. And another one is the smart cities council. That is a good um, resource to go to um, because they're all over the world. They do stuff specifically with cities. Okay. So smartcitiescouncil.com. Smartcitiescouncil.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they have, I mean, that is a good clearinghouse for any kind of information about smart cities uh, around the world. But they have the world broken up um, right now um, online, so you can see what's going on in your region. Yeah, and I was hearing recently, because of COVID, everything went online, that the amount of data Mm -hmm. that is now collected from humanity has mm-hmm. just amped up like yeah. multifold in the it's last year. Like, I think it's like in, instead of gigabytes and terabytes, it's beyond petabytes now. Okay. So that kind of data is just crazy. Um, and it is, I mean, everything is online, but not, I mean, a lot of things are going online, but not everything is online. That's, that's the one thing that's, um, kind of interesting is for the longest time, a lot of cities and towns, they had, they still stored all their stuff in paper. Hmm. Um, and so uh, that's, that's not, everything's not going to be online yet. And, and, and not everybody's going to be able to put everything online quickly. Yeah. Um, so there is still, you know, some time um, in that because a lot of that's historical data, right? Right. Um, but that, that historical data is still important. It kind yeah. of gives you a trend, uh, you know, of what happened before. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's why it's good to, to still know how to use a, uh, a library and still how to you know, go through papers. Yeah. And and have some books and have books and maps. And I'm a you're a book guy. I love books, but I also love maps. Yeah. So um, just looking at maps and my my this is an aside. You may not want to clear this, but. My my mom gave me a, a globe the other day um, that my grandfather used to have. Oh, awesome! And so my kids were looking at it going, "What is you? What is USSR?" <laughs> and yeah. they were like, "Wait a minute, South Sudan is not here." You know those kind of things. They were right. like, "What, Dad? These are?" And I'm like, "Yeah, the world has changed in the past 20 years." And it's a so, marker because you, it's hard to go. You know, necessarily, you don't mm-hmm. think to go online and find an old map. Nope. You just you want find what's current. You want the latest and greatest. And yeah. uh, I saw it, uh, I saw a video from uh, a British guy who's of um, Caribbean descent. He's a history professor in Britain. And he was talking about what makes nations. And he said, it's basically like you got string and just dropped it on top of a group of people. Even though that's a, that may be called Nigeria. There's a bunch of tribes in those places. Right. <laughs> you know, and, 
Um, and the name Nigeria came from this lady from Britain, you know? <laughs> so even when, the, you know, this one, the Middle East was all divided up by the French and the British. And, and yeah. so it's kind of uh, interesting to look back on those maps and explain to people who don't know that there hasn't always been a Jordan, hasn't always been uh, this country and that country. Yeah. And stuff, so. Yeah. Yeah. So knowing history is not going to be a bad thing. So as we kind of wrap this up, yeah. uh, what would be your, your final word? What would be the thing or a couple of things that you would really want to say to those um, seeking to engage cities mm-hmm. with Jesus? Mm-hmm. What would it be a couple of things you'd really want to put in front of? What well, I would, I would, yeah, I would look at the example of the Roman road, um, not the, the Bible verses, Right. But the the actual Roman road, you know, you never know. You have to clear it, be clear clear about that because um, some people are like, he said something does, I don't agree with about Romans. I'm like, no, it's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> but just knowing that, you know, that that was not necessarily popular with some people having you know, Rome have access to them uh, around the world, right? They're known, they're, they're known world. But the, the church kind of adjusted and realized, oh, we can get from here to there a lot easier. And we can connect a lot easier with people who are a lot farther away than us and kind of share this message that we have um, and encouragement and get letters out and send communication and that kind of thing. And even have access to different types of jobs so that we can spread out throughout the world. I had a, a boss who was a believer and he was talking about fiber, um, fiber optics. He said, you know, it's kind of interesting that we deliver uh, light to people through fiber optics. Hmm. And so I think my final word would be, don't, it's you know this is just going to be all past history one day, and it's going to be technological advancement that we we adjust to, and we need to you know I think we need to adjust to it faster than we are. Um, everybody, not just believers and people of faith or Christians, but um, we really need to learn how to embrace this and see how it how it opens up the world a little bit more to us because as you know. You have connect. You have connection through around the world. I'm going to a conference in Southeast Asia in a few weeks um, for my for my discipline, right? And I'm going. To, it's just going to be online. Everybody's there. Everybody else is going to be there. But I'm going to have networking opportunities with people in my line of business from around the world. Yeah, uh, that I never would have known about before um, because used to you had to pay thousands of dollars to travel to this city or whatever to have connectivity with these people and see these talks and that kind of thing. And so now technology it's is our, our Roman road. It is. It's our Roman road. And uh, we really need to embrace it. And also learn to connect with people of faith around the world um, okay. to encourage them um, and to send, to really send them encouragement, you know, use Facebook, not only to rant against politics, <laughs> but also to reach out to your Japanese friend who happens to live in Indonesia it is a pastor there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, t- and say hello. Yeah. And tell them you're praying for them. Those kind of things. I think we're really going to use this technology to do good. Part of the thing for smart cities uh, and, and sustainability and all that is to really, what it attracted to me into it is that the focus of it is changing the quality of people's lives. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge thing for me because for us, it's not just about only about um, access and technology and food and all these things, but it's also about really uh, influencing their quality of life and their quality of life for here and forever. So, 
You know, Tim Keller talks about how a lot of city dwellers just use the city for what they can get out of it. Yeah. Rather than really thinking through, how do I bless the city? How do I give right. to this city, make this city better? And yeah. I, what I hear you saying is the same thing with technology. We use technology every day, right. sometimes without even thinking about it. Yeah. But how do we actually bless using yeah. technology? How do we intentionally use technology for good? Yeah, it amazes me to uh, – this is and a, just a little side note – is that ever so often I will see something from another part of the world um, using technology that I have to use every day, and I have been moved to tears hmm. um, for good and for bad, like seeing evil in the world and seeing good in the world. Yeah. Um, and it's instantly accessible. And just and seeing how much of a need there is, you know, you understand why Jesus wept when he looked out over the city. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, I think we can have empathy when we're doing this. We look at the world, even though with all this technology going on, there's a lot of empathy that we can have. That's good. I think that's a good word to end on. Thank you, EJ, for taking the time. No problem, man. It's great to talk to you as always. It was good. Thank you. Thanks once more to EJ Smith for being our guest in this episode. Mission City is hosted by me, Michael Crane, and produced by Radius Global Cities Network and Scott Slusher. Today's episode was written by me and Scott Slusher. If you liked this episode, we do hope that you will take a moment to leave a great review and share it with friends. It truly helps. <laughs>